Hello and welcome back to Ars Arcanum, an exploration of Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere and other related products. I'm Nora, I'm joined by Mark. Hi, I'm Mark. And by Autumn. Hi, I'm Autumn. Fortnite! <laughs> <laughs> so, we need to talk about how Kelsier of Mistborn has the mystic eyes of death perception. <laughs> and that that's canon. Okay, so you've you, really just thrown us into the deep yes. end very quickly. <laughs> Give us the framing, and then I'll talk about Fortnite. Okay, because you discovered the hidden lore on his YouTube channel. So I watch Brandon Sanders' YouTube way too much, and um, last week I was watching his weekly update thing, and he was like, "I've got an announcement coming that you're not going to guess. No, it's not a TV show. No, it's not what you're thinking of." No, it's not that either. <laughs> and I was like, okay, weird. Must be some new series, maybe. Like some new unex- comic book or new yeah. weird thing. And, and a couple days later, it was Thursday. I As at work. You were at work. I refreshed Twitter to do something. I was writing some shit post. And then I, as I'm writing the shit post, I, I look... And I see Brandon Sanderson retweeted at Fortnite. Fortnite game, I think. <laughs> at Fortnite game. And it, there was an announcement that, that, that Kelsier from Mistborn, the very next book we will be covering, is is in Fortnite now. <laughs> Which, credit to Brandon Sanderson, I, I didn't predict that. <laughs> you were right about one thing, Master. <laughs> <laughs> There's always another secret, and this one is about Kelsier and Fortnite. But how did Kelsier get into Fortnite? Um, well, I posted a video on my Twitter that I can link to. The you, you want to hit play on that next to the microphone so that the podcast can just hear Brandon's own words. Well, I was thinking I would just edit it into the podcast um. rather than rather than play a video through my phone microphone it would be fine but okay <laughs> i'll edit it into the podcast his explanation for how kelsier got into fortnite which you will hear now why is kelsier in fortnite um couple reasons main reason is that i'm pretty good friends with the director of fortnite um if you ever read the infinity blade books that i wrote i wrote those with him um donald mustard he made fortnite and at one point he's like hey I like Kelsier. Can we put him in Fortnite? I'm like, well, yeah, uh, sure. Um, Go ahead. And so they did. Uh, It's more just uh, me and my friends uh, goofing around, though. If there are those of you out there who are Mistborn fans and Fortnite fans, you can get a Kelsier skin in Fortnite. Um, We did it mostly mostly for the kicks of it, just because we thought it would be fun. Uh, And I like their their take on Kelsier. It was really fun to watch them do concept art and bring him to life. It's very funny. You want to hit that? Yeah, thank you. you. Thank you. Um, 
Does Mark already know, or do we also say it yeah, to Mark? Yeah, I, I know. I, I watched the video. I'm as... <laughs> My okay. jaw is as much on the floor as any of yours. <laughs> so he just knows the guy. <laughs> yeah, he just knows the guy, and the guy's like, "Hey, Kelsier's cool." So that guy could have said, "Do you want to put Kaladin Stormblast in Stormlight, <laughs> in Stormlight, in Fortnite, Fortnite Stormlight, the Fortnite archives, <laughs> the Fortnite archives, Stormlight save the world." <laughs> Um, but instead it's Kelsier, who I guess I would call the deuteragonist of Mistborn? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that that was something that I was a little confused about, um, because I was like, isn't, isn't there, isn't the protagonist of Mistborn called Vin? Like, yes. uh, yes. why isn't it her? <laughs> um, uh, a, a very good question. To ask, uh, and the answer is that just that guy thinks that Kelsier is cool. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I so I asked. I was chatting with uh, my friend Ben about this earlier today, um, and he was like, "I mean, the way that he framed it, it seemed like he basically his perspective was, well, I think Kelsier is more the one that the guy who made Fortnite would consider to be cool." Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> he did say. Brandon said on Reddit. Like, the agreements we made about this whole thing does not preclude more content from being added, but it took six months to make Kelsier, so if they want to add Vin, they can, but it'll be a ways off unless they were working on it and didn't tell me. Mm-hmm. So, um, it all, so, it's a Kelsier skin, of which there are two versions. I got two versions. One with or without the... Uh, face mask um and also there's so fortnite apparently has this thing called back bling which is like an accessory that goes on the character's back uh-huh uh okay. examples i've seen are like a little fireball that might be some kind of like dark phoenix thing mm-hmm. wait you like mean that. like dark phoenix like from the x-men yes she's in fortnite wait okay. <laughs> I know that Raven is. I'm pretty sure Phoenix is as well. Raven from Teen Titans? From Teen Titans, yes. And Phoenix from X-Men. Yes. And okay. also the Predator and <laughs> uh, the Terminator and Kratos, God of War. I'm learning, I'm learning more about so Fortnite much than about I Fortnite. <laughs> Jinx, you have to get me a Coke. You got it, boss. Mail it to Wisconsin. <laughs> Everybody, everybody is in Fortnite. <laughs> uh, there are three spikes that hover behind your back as your like Mistborn back bling. Um, that's a whole is, thing. Is that yeah. canon to the books? Uh, th traditionally, that is not where the spikes go. <laughs> traditionally, <laughs> the spikes are more uh, inside your body <laughs> than that. Um, it, it also has the harvester of obsidian daggers which in this they're just volcanic glass daggers that are like blue mm -hmm. um hmm. uh which is used in the game because so i downloaded fortnite and i played <laughs> two matches and i won the second one so i stopped nice. playing fortnite <laughs> uh i might play more i don't know those guns feel bad but um 
you basically every object in the world every like floor and like every square of floor or wall or every object in a house or every vehicle can be hit with the melee weapon enough times and it will break down into components that you presumably use for some kind of crafting that i don't really understand okay um so the melee weapon is also like a thing you can customize you can get different ones and this one is the daggers um which are kind of more like swords because they're very big (laughs) but as you are hitting you're holding down the the fire button to like swing your melee weapon and harvest materials um it will have a little dot appear and if you aim the reticle at that dot and then hit you will do more damage and break things down faster and get more materials and and then it changes position so you have to like pay attention and like hit at all the right places which is why I guess it's canon now that Kelsier has Mystic Eyes of Death Perception that allow him to more uh, efficiently destroy objects. Okay, but wait a minute. The way you're describing it, do all characters in Fortnite have the Mystic Eyes of Death Perception? Yes, I think by entering Fortnite... You you buried the lead! You really made it sound like it was just Kelsier. My mind is blown! The Predator, Mystic Eyes of Death yes. Perception, oh, Supermanator, probably. I think I'm most uh, bothered by Dark Phoenix having the Mystic Eyes of Death Perception because she does just go around destroying shit all the time. So, like, <laughs> although I guess you know, Dark Phoenix can just like genocide a planet anytime she wants to for fun. So this probably doesn't yeah. actually increase her destructive power much. Um. <laughs> But like Kratos, God of War. <laughs> should we should we explain the Mystic Eyes of Death perception? <laughs> I am thinking about them, so let's explain them. Uh, these are a thing from uh, Type Moon or uh, Fate. Well, okay, they're from parts of Type Moon that aren't strictly speaking Fate. But if you're familiar mm-hmm. with Fate Stay Night, this is like the extended universe of that. Um, and it's a magic ability that allows you to see. The, I think in, in this, it's actually the lines, not the points. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, that will allow you to cut along them and destroy something's existence. Um. Uh, Jedi have this ability as well. They're called shatter points. But again, those are uh, line. There they're, they're are points, but they're also like connections. And there's, but yes. Yeah. 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 Um. There's also something vaguely, or a concept vaguely like this, I think, in, um, uh, fuck, what's the name of this game? Um, it's a game about, like, an outbreak of a plague in, like, a, like, steppe village. Um, it's very, like, depressing, and it, in the original edition, there were three protagonists, and, fuck, do neither of you know what I'm talking about? Is it? I I know nothing it, about Type Moon. Oh it's, my god. I'm losing oh, my mind. Type, oh, it's a Type Moon game? No, a different game no. that also okay. has something vaguely like uh yeah, you like can um, see the lines to cut like Okay. Shit. Is there, I'm sorry. Is, I'm this no, is very No, you're good. You're good. No, <laughs> I I think I know what you're talking Pathologic. Yes. Pathologic. <laughs> there we go. I was god. like I know it's a disease thing. It's not plague. It's not called plague. 
Um, yeah, I was getting my brain was giving me Bloodborne, which is not it. <laughs> no. Um. But I just wanted to, as an aside, I wanted to add that it looks like um, Kylo Ren, Captain America, and the Joker also have the Mystic Eyes of Death perception canonically. <laughs> Does so? Travis Scott performed a concert in Fortnite. Is he a skin? I don't believe you can play as Travis Scott. But do you think that Travis Scott gained the Mystic Eyes of Death perception? I think he was born with those in real life. <laughs> yeah this is some i do have one question about the mystic eyes of death perception in fortnite do they allow you to kill other players or only to destroy objects only objects okay then that's weak because the mystic eyes of death perception definitely let you kill people i I think that's probably mostly what uh they are used for (laughs) they don't let you kill people but the game does have guns that do allow you to kill people. Does that change your opinion here? I mean, uh, basically, I my my feeling here is just that the the ability to view the points that will let you destroy an object in Fortnite is mm-hmm. a strictly weaker version of the Mystic Eyes of Death Perception. And I, I just want to put some respect on the name of the original Mystic Eyes of Death Perception. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Very important. So this yeah. is sort of, sort of like a like a like a lower tier. Yeah. Lower class. But um Kelsier's in Fortnite. We'll learn yes. about Kelsier in 6 months. Now, Less than that. Here, here's a question. You two mm-hmm. have familiarity with like Kelsier's character, his general vibe. Does he seem like he would do the things that one does in Fortnite? And as a follow-up question, what is it that one does in Fortnite? Uh well, you're in a <laughs> bus and then you drop out of the bus. Mm-hmm. And you kill 99 other people, and then you win. There so, was okay. a thing when I booted it up that was like a story mission uh, for this season of Fortnite, where, like, very, like, Aryan soldier guy hero was, like, leading me through this place where the fake Doctor Doom who kind of reminded me of the villain from Perfect State was like summoned and they were they, they had beef but like they had to team up because the reality was falling apart and I feel like I missed something at some point but no I've been following the conversation <laughs> I just <laughs> Fortnite Fortnite does seem very confusing So the thing is that it has lore uh, I could Kelsier would kill 99 dudes, no problem. No sweat. Does, likely. Yeah. (laughs) If you put Kelsier on an island with 99 rich people, they're all dead. (laughs) That's not an issue. (laughs) The thing, the thing, and having never played Fortnite in my life, I was a little miffed because Kelsier's whole thing is that he's always smiling and joking and stuff, and all the key art for this has Kelsier grimacing. I'm like, well, that's not what Kelsier does. (laughs) <laughs> yeah he yeah. is all yeah he seems like a batman uh based on these images there there is a batman in mistborn but it is not kelsier okay kelsier is uh the there might be a couple batman in in mistborn but i think kelsier is more of a robin is kelsier more of a jack sparrow no because he has no now listen no. He... you will die <laughs> 
He has outrageous plans that usually involve him just showing up and saying stuff. He has his right-hand man, who is more grounded and older than him, much like the first mate on the Pirates of the Caribbean. You can't have funny, roguish protagonist just be Jack Sparrow in your brain. That's not okay. I don't know That's what... A- You've seen one movie and you're like, damn, getting boss baby vibes. <laughs> Listen, he's just anarcho Jack Sparrow. <laughs> That's not true. Have we read other books in the time I, between episodes? Or are we I don't want to cut actually. us off. I just want to cut us off from Jack Sparrow talk. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, I feel like we've said more or less what there is to say. Like the thing, the thing is yeah. that Kelsier's in Fortnite, and that's the main thrust of this conversation. Yeah, Kelsier yeah. in Fortnite, and he's not going away. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they take things out of Fortnite. They do, but it doesn't sound. They usually announce like for X amount of time. Hmm. So, I think you can still purchase him. Yes. If all you want is to purchase Kelsier's stuff in Fortnite, it'll run you about sixteen dollars. Okay. And you might have a little bit of pocket change left afterward. I don't really know the conversion of V-Bucks. But. Ah, of course they have their own special silly currency. Um, But yeah, I have been reading some books. I haven't finished any. What um, you been reading? I've, I've been reading, I think it's called Streams of Silver, which is the second Drizzt Doerden book. Mm-hmm. The, the, what are they called? The Companions of the Hall? Because they're, they're seeking the Mithril Hall. It's, which is a dwarf, uh, place. It was a dwarf home cavern place that was, now, stop me if you've heard this before. It was taken over, uh, and the relatives of the dwarf hero in the party his like his family was very important there, and they were wiped out because they dug too deep. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, which in this case does not mean they found a Balrog or a Pit Fiend in D anD. d It means that they found the other dwarves that live underground even deeper, called the Duergar or uh, Dark Dwarves. I They're do basically. Love, I do love like a fucked up evil dwarf. They're they're pretty cool. Um, they are like drow, but for dwarves, except they're not, they don't have different colored. Well, I think they're gray skinned. They're mm-hmm. like gray stone skinned, uh, not literally stone, but like color wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually when I see pictures of them in D and D art, they're bald. Um, sometimes they have interesting, uh, gimmicks as monsters like oh they have barbs in their beards or they can manipulate their size and things like that um they're pretty cool uh the other book that i have been picking away at uh is the i keep forgetting the is it shadow of the torture is that the yes yeah, the actual title the shadow of the torturer the, the book I have does not say that. <laughs> so I always you have double... Shadow and Claw, right? Yes, because it's yeah. also got Claw of the Concil- Conciliator. You got it. It's, yes, um, which is also pretty sick. I would yeah. say probably a little bit better than Drizzt Doerden. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
thank um, you. That means a lot to me. Uh, <laughs> this is the, the shadow of the torturer, and like the series that is in, that it's in is one of my favorite series. I'm a big, big Gene Wolfe fan. So I would say that proportionally speaking, I'm about as far into it. According to like holding the pages in my hands, I'm about as far into that as we are in Elantris. Except that the book seems to be half the length of Elantris. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so do you mean into... Because you're talking about holding and the book you have is this omnibus. So are you talking about how far you are into the whole book that you're holding or how far no, you are into, into the holding part the, of it? The, the first part of it that has uh, the, Shadow of the Torturer. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're a decent ways into that book at this point. Um, uh, that's been fun. Uh, some, some stuff went down recently. And... Uh, so, uh, were mistakes made? Has Severian ever done anything wrong? Who can really say? Uh, that's a, you know, the question of whether Severian uh, does wrong is like a big moral question for the book. Um, do, do you want me to like give the very basic premise of the story? Yeah, sure. I don't so, think we went that in depth the last time that I brought this up. No. So the, the, the story is the uh, memoirs of... Uh, Severian, who is a boy raised in the Guild of Torturers. Um, and, you know, it's basically his life story uh, from, like, early on when he's just a little kid running around this, like, weird tower full of torture and, like, running errands uh, to, you know, he grows up, he becomes an apprentice, or he starts as an apprentice, he becomes a journeyman, uh, he uh, falls in love with a prisoner, then, you know, more stuff happens that I don't want to spoil. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, he just goes on to have a ton of uh, weird, um, kind of vaguely D&D-esque adventures for the rest of his life. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and it's, uh, you know, uh, it is a... Part of a series called The Book of the New Sun, which is four books. Um, and that series links up with another series that is four books long called The Book of the Long Sun. And then also with another series that is three books long called The Book of the Short Sun. And then there's also, I forgot to say this, <laughs> there's also a fifth, like, sort of sequel and conclusion to Book of the New Sun that he added. Like, he wrote the first four books and then several years later, he wrote, like, a conclusion to that. And then he went on to write these other sub-series. So there's, like, a total of, I don't know, like, fucking 12 books in this mega-series called The Solar Cycle. Person who's read all of the uh, Weiss and Hickman Dragonlance books voice. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's nowhere near... It, it's not as big as, like, the Cosmere, I don't think. Mm -hmm. So... Um, uh, Weiss and Hickman wrote the original trilogy of Dragonlance novels, then a second trilogy focusing mostly on the more po the most popular character, which is Raislin, <clears throat> the evil wizard, uh, and then did another book to close out the story, um, which returned to the naming convention of the first trilogy, which were like, Dragons of Autumn Twilight, Dragons of Winter Night, Dragons of Spring Dawning, returned with Dragons of Summer Flame to close everything out, and then um, 
Wizards of the Coast released Dungeons and Dragons 3rd Edition. And they were like, well, we have to retcon all of that shit to open the story back up so that this can be a D&D setting again. So we have to undo a lot of stuff that we just did. And they wrote another trilogy called War of Souls. And then they wrote a trilogy of interquels between the first original three books. <laughs> giving more context to certain events uh, for each of those books. And then I think Margaret Weiss did a solo trilogy that is a sequel to the War of Souls, even further down the timeline, where some really wild shit happens. Uh, there's too many books. Nah, it's fine. <laughs> There's a lot of books in this world. It's fine. Yeah, lots of books out there. One such book is Elantris by Randall yeah. Sanderson. I didn't get to talk about books I wrote. What books did you read? <laughs> also, I don't know if Mark did. I don't, yeah, I, yeah. I got it. I kind of took over the Book of the New Sun discussion. Uh, sorry okay. about that. No, you're good. I was just I got a I got mixed up about who had brought that up. Um, well, we're reading it together, so right. That yeah. was the thing where I got mixed up. Um. So I finished one of your favorite books. The first in... Uh, you can't make a visual reaction to... <laughs> you can't, like, drop your jaw. That doesn't play on a podcast. One of my favorite books? Dragonlance? No. Aragon? Um, it is the first book in the Perdane series, the Book of Three. Yeah, oh, by sick. Lloyd Alexander. Yeah. Um, I read the first one of those. It was kind of slow going because it is... It is a book, like, for readers who are younger than I am, I think. And so sometimes I was getting a little bit bored. But, like, I really, I'm really glad I, like, read the whole thing. I think that book is, like, really remarkable. It is, like, it is very, like, very, very traditional fantasy stuff. If you've read The Hobbit or are vaguely aware of Dungeons and Dragons existing. Like, nothing in the Book of Three is going to, like, surprise you, per se. But I think Lloyd Alexander does a really great job with character work. Like, remarkably good. Um, I, I feel like Perdane is, like... It's, like, a high fantasy, but also it's, like, got its foot dipped in, like, fairy tale. Yes. Well, yes, it's, um... for sure. It's, like, pretty explicitly based on, like, Welsh mythology, right? Yes. Yes. So, um, it's, like, literally it's, uh, drawing like, on folklore. Yeah. There's, like, a pretty neat foreword about, like, how this ties into, like, Welsh folklore. And I think kind of the implicit thing here is that, like, it it ties... It's rooting a lot of the story in Welsh folklore in similar ways to how Tolkien... Tolkien is trying to root Lord of the Rings in English folklore. Um, but yeah, I just was like really blown away in that book with like Taryn's character arc is so subtly done, but so convincing. And like the rest of the adventuring party, like the, the rest of the adventuring party doesn't get arcs, but these are all really well sketched characters, despite like um, Flem is the bard. That's his thing. You mean you Fludor? Know. Fludor Flam. Thank yes. you. <clears throat> and um, I, I, I can't recall her name right now, but um, Islandwee is like, 
is kind of just archetype of like roguish girl character but like is really well done and like it's always very clear like what her motivations are and like i i just was really floored by like how good all the character stuff in there is like i say it was sometimes slow glowing slow going because the plot is very just like rote fantasy stuff for like young adults teenagers ish you know but like beyond that i i did was really blown away by that book um the other thing is something i'm rereading um which is called the black tides of heaven by neon yang um it is a the first in a trilogy of fantasy novellas um and i have not read the other two books i read the black tides of heaven a couple years ago and was really liked it and then i started the second book and didn't like it as much and so i haven't come back to these um but uh rereading black tides of heaven right now and it's fucking good it's just it's just good when a trans person writes fantasy and you're just like you just the there is a moment where a character decides to transition and it's just like oh like i get to like see myself in the genre that i care about a lot and like i don't think that like any of us are like people who care about like representation and stuff but i think that uh what yang does with like how they write those those scenes is so fucking good (laughs) it is like just one of like it's just one of my favorite scenes in fiction of this character making this decision and yeah that rules yeah i feel Uh, also the rest of the the rest of the book is good too but it's really (laughs) just about that scene to me it's really just about that one scene (laughs) i i feel like uh, as far as like quote unquote, do I care about representation? I do mm-hmm. care about representation because I care about what you just described, which is to say, like art and like fiction that in some way, you know, genuinely speaks to my experience of the world. Yeah. Um, I think that when people talk about representation, it's often in an extremely tokenized way, where it's literally yes. like, does a trans person exist in this story? Do they? fit do they check off certain boxes of what the person talking about this believes like a non-offensive trans character should you know Um, yes and that's a very different thing from work you know by someone who knows what a trans experience is like representing that experience um and yes you know i also believe that like a an author can in a in a real way represent an experience that isn't theirs if they like are educated about that in some way, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they talk to people who have that experience. Um, but yeah, like I, I feel as though, you know, the origin point of representation discourse isn't like when people first started talking about this stuff or whatever, it was on some level about like, wow, I never see people like me in fiction. I'd like to see myself in fiction. It's just that the question of what it actually means to see yourself in fiction is more complicated than just literally checking off identity categories, you know? Yeah, and so many things just do that, just treat like, oh, well, now we have checked off that a trans character exists in this setting, and, you know, oh, we got bonus points because the trans character was, like, the protagonist or, like, you know, deuteragonist or whatever, like... um, But this is just, like... This feels very much like... 
the ca- the character like the trans their transness like matters and it is the book is about a lot of things and one of the things that the book is about is like writing this sort of rapturous scene of deciding to transition and like like I, it's just not something I've read in any other fiction because um yeah I don't know uh, it, it's it's better it's better than I won't care when at some point a trans character shows up in a Brando Sando book. I won't. I just won't <laughs> care. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's, he, he is not going to be able, like, just, I, I would be shocked if Brandon Sanderson has a trans friend, you know? <laughs> I mean, I can clear, definitely just see aspects of myself in plenty of other characters from brandon sanderson that who aren't not trans yeah 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 so them <clears throat> being trans is not that important yeah mm-hmm. I, I think that also this is one of the places <clears throat> where i feel like um representation or like representing real world experience is not the only way that i can get like interesting trans stuff out of fiction because like it's mm-hmm. very common i think especially in science fiction and fantasy uh, for for fiction to produce something that in some way like resonates maybe metaphorically with yeah. trans experience like there are all kinds of characters in all kinds of stories but I think especially speculative fiction who have something going on with their relationship to their body that might speak to me as a trans person right um, like I actually get a lot of very complicated <clears throat> body stuff out of Severian. And Severian is, like, maybe one of the cissest characters I've ever read in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I don't want to talk about that in, in great detail, partly because it's kind of private to me, um, mm. and, and partly because uh, I don't want to spoil Nora. But, like, uh, that to me speaks to the fact that interesting representations of, like, human experience are more complicated than just literally knowing about what it's like in real life and presenting that on the page. But mm-hmm. when people do that, especially with something you don't often see, it can be really good. Like, we had a whole discussion about uh, gender and masks and things when we read Perfect State. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, and also... And also, we read Elantris. We did read well, Elantris. But, hey, I want to talk about the books I read. <laughs> ah, damn it. I forgot. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it's okay. Um, I, so I have, there's two books that are relevant that I read since the last time we recorded. One of them, I think I might have started and finished since we last recorded, which is uh, Two Serpents Rise by Max Gladstone. Um, and I know I previously talked about uh, Three Parts Dead which is Gladstone's first book, the first book in the craft sequence. Two Serpents Rise is the one that follows it in publication order. Technically, it's before it chronologically, but that doesn't matter. Uh, And it was honestly a huge disappointment (laughs) because um, I read it... No! I read it shortly after it was published, which would have been in, like, 2014 or so. And at that time, I loved it. It kind of blew me away. Uh, You know, it... Gladstone, I think I talked about this with uh, Three Parts Dead, he has this just like central, really cool world building conceit of like, human souls are currency, and like, contract law and high finance are magic. Um, And that's fucking cool. And there's a lot of cool shit that comes out of that. 
Uh, but Two Serpents Rise is like the most liberal poisoned book I've ever read in my life. Like, it very explicitly makes the statement that uh, better things aren't possible, and the fact that we destroyed the ancient Aztec religion was a good thing, because it ended human sacrifice, and, like, the mm. fact that the current capitalist magic system is, like, literally bleeding the souls out of people to, like power its society is still better because it's not literally stabbing anybody with a obsidian knife i'm frowning it sucks <laughs> it just sucks it's really really frustrating um there was there were several points in the book there was like one specific moment about halfway through the book where the main character caleb who is like he is a risk manager for red king consolidated which is the corporation which basically owns the city he lives in um uh, Red King Consolidated is the 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 company or the the concern, as it's called in the story, uh, that is that is like founded and owned by uh, the King in Red, the uh, Lich Sorcerer who uh, destroyed the old gods of this city, um, and basically replaced them uh, as the like company that pretty much provides in some way, all, like, important services in this city. Uh, most centrally, they provide the water, because this is a desert city. It's very clearly fantasy LA. Um, and so RKC uh, provides the water for this desert city through through magic. Um, formerly, the way water was provided here was through the gods, and, you know, it was done through human sacrifice. You, you uh, sacrifice people to the gods, and the gods bring rain. Um, and now you, uh, every time you turn your faucet, your faucet takes a tiny little bit of your soul. Um, and that's what, what, mm -hmm. anyway, so there's like a point at the middle of the novel where Caleb has kind of finally admitted to himself and to his girlfriend, uh, that he is not actually very comfortable with the current system because of the ways that he is aware that it's kind of exploiting people and it's not like actually better than the old system and he's he's really conscious of the fact that like uh there is this really deep and horrific violence against the gods that's at the foundation of this system uh i hmm, i'm wondering whether i should spoil this big reveal because on the one hand it is a huge reveal that's central to the novel on the other hand the novel fucking sucks um so <laughs> Jump to about the 42-minute mark to avoid spoilers for this book. Skip ahead a minute if you don't want to be spoiled. Um, he shows his girlfriend uh, the, like, biggest water processing plant that the whole city depends on. Like, this is the absolute core of RKC. Um, like, this is, without this, RKC would not be able to fulfill the function it has. And that is a, a, a station out in the ocean where they have Ket Sealord, the old god of the ocean, um, like, trapped and semi-conscious and effectively being eternally tortured by having seawater pumped through his heart to purify it into fresh water. Um, and this is essentially the function that Ketzilor used to perform as a god for mm -hmm. occasional sacrifice. Uh, but now, instead of Basically, they're they still using the god to fulfill the same function, but uh, 
he is now a a a, a suffering prisoner. And so this is the moment, this is Caleb kind of saying, like, yeah, our system is founded on, like, deeply disturbing violence. Like, the experience of seeing Ket Sealord bound is presented as something that, like, pretty much causes everyone who sees it for the first time to totally freak out and, like, have some kind of deep reckoning with the, the moral rot that underlies their society. And Caleb gives this little speech about like, yeah, you know, this is what happens. You go and you like see like the, the horror at the base of your society and you grapple with it and you realize that there's nothing you can do about it. And you just like, you drink and you play card games to distract yourself from this. And it's like, it looks as though Caleb is finally going to make an actual moral choice and say, you know what? I can't just nihilistically ignore this for the rest of my life. I've got to do something. And at the end of the fucking book, he reinstates that shit. No. Yeah. His girlfriend has this giant violent revolutionary plan, which involves stealing Ket Sealord's heart. Uh, and so to be clear, she she's killing the god. So she is not like undoing this violence against the god. But on the other hand, I think it's very easy to argue that at this point it's a mercy killing. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, she is going to totally destroy RKC, the company that's responsible for this. Um, and by the end of the book, Caleb's gotten the heart back from her and they've just stitched it back into Ket Sealord. And that was totally possible, too. It's not even like... There's no question of, like, damn, now that our, like, giant water processing plant has been, like, fucked up seriously, are we going to have any trouble repairing it? Is that going to force us to change how we do things? None of that either. Like, it's so disappointing. Its horizons Mm. are so limited. This (sighs) sucks. It sucks. It fucking sucks. And, like... I had kind of been wanting to reread the rest of the craft sequence because I I read it all a while ago and I liked it a lot at the time. And I'm like, damn, I want to see how these things hold up for me now. And now I'm just like, God damn, I don't want to do that. (laughs) (sighs) Max Gladstone, like, get your shit together. (sighs) Glax Madstone. I know. (laughs) Glax Madstone actually sounds like a, a name of like a pretty cool sorcerer king. Yeah. So the other book, though, the other book that I've been reading is so much better. Um, the other book I've been reading is Nova by Samuel Delaney. Um, and it is, uh, it was sort of pitched to me as like science fiction Moby Dick. Um, and it's not really okay. that all that much. Like, it's not like a very close Moby Dick pastiche, you know. So like, uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, there is a there is a um, a spaceship captain, and he's on this like kind of insane quest, and he like recruits a a crew of like people from all these diverse places. So in that sense, it's like that that is kind of Moby Dick, but like, you know, in a number of key particulars. Like for example, as far as I can tell at this point in the book, he's being totally honest with them about what his mad quest is. Which is, like, not at all how it works in Moby Dick. In Moby Dick, Ahab presents himself as a totally normal whaling captain who is going on a, a 
very normal trip to get whale oil. And it's not until everyone is on the ship and can't leave that he's like, all right, guys, actually, this is a giant revenge quest. Um, so, you know, some big thematic things have been changed. Um, but that actually doesn't matter because it's just like a really, really compelling space sea adventure uh, in like a, you know, sort of proto cyberpunk setting. Um, this book is from the 60s. So is before, like, cyberpunk was, like, consciously a thing. Uh, but, you know, all of the um, sailors have these, like, implants in their bodies that they use to interface with the, the spaceships. Uh, and therefore, the sailors are all called studs, which is great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that's also very funny about this is um, Samuel Delaney is gay. Uh, and that's, like, a very big part of his writing and, and just, like, his sort of life and his like his theory actually as well um but he was writing this as a time when he was not like out in the science fiction community um and so there is a fair amount of like heterosexual horniness in this story um and some of it feels like very tacked on um but there also is i feel like a very strong like homoerotic sensibility running throughout the story uh, and that's great I mean, you can't have, like, a good story. You can't have a good seafaring adventurer without a serious dollop of homoeroticism, I think. <laughs> so, yeah. That's, uh, no, that's me. That's what I've been reading. Sometimes books are good. Sometimes. You, you said to me right before we got on the call that Elantris was good this week, and I'm going to dispute that, but we should summarize the chapters so that we can... Okay. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> um, chapter 28. <clears throat> I'm going to clear my throat. I'm going to take another run at this. Chapter 28. Raiden, Galadon, and Karada restrict knowledge of the pool and the Aeon Door library to themselves. Mm-hmm. Putting a huge pin in this. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Raiden studies a lot and learns a great amount about Aeon Door, but he is unable to make it start working again. Salen tells Raiden that they need to gamble to and set a trap to wipe out all of Shayor's followers since they are losing a war of attrition, and Raiden tells him to do so. Spirit meets Serini for the daily feud distribution and warns her to be wary. As he feared, Shayor's gang attacks, though they are fought off by Eondel and the city guards. Serini accuses Spirit of withholding food from the Elantrians, and Spirit pleads guilty. Serini departs angrily, accompanied by the nobles. Raiden finds Salen badly wounded in a catatonic state and mourns the loss of his friend for a long time. The city gates reopen. Um... The City Gates Reopen is basically just a chapter, start of chapter 29, so we'll... It's the cliffhanger. Yeah, it's like the cliffhanger for the thing that we're going to talk about in 20 minutes or whatever. So all of our frustrations about the miscommunication uh, uh, come to a head. Yeah. It gets, it's so flimsy. It's so flimsy. If, because Raiden pleads, like, Raiden is like, you caught me red-handed. What? I... <laughs> In a manner of speaking. Like, literally, all you have to do is explain it. Like, yes. Serini is so willing to give you, like, the benefit of the doubt a hundred times over. All you have to do is say anything more than, yes, I was hoarding some food. 
This so to answer our previous question, yes, Rayadin is a Lelouch. <laughs> because there's a part of Code Geass where somebody says, Hey, did you do this? And it's a thing that he did by accident. And Lelouch just like like, you know, puts his shoulders back and accepts this accident and accepts this this guilt and says, Yes, I did it. <laughs> End of sentence doesn't say it was an accident. Doesn't say I never intended to. Just admits, yes, I am responsible for this thing that happens. And then that character gets mad at him. And that's exactly what happens here, where he just accepts responsibility for this thing without explaining it at all and allowing Serini to think the worst possible version of this is true. It's ridiculous. Cause, like, And it's not even just that if he just explained it, she would get it. It's also kind of like... If he gave her, like, even just one more piece of information about the situation, I think she'd forgive him. Because it is a little complicated exactly what's going on with Shayor's men and Raiden's group and, like, how the food is being distributed. But if he just said, for example, they're part of a rival gang run by a totally mad brute, which is how he would frame it, right? Um, mm mm-hmm. Serini would immediately be like, oh, okay. Like, maybe she'd still be, like... Uh, Weary. Yeah, but, she'd like... She'd be like, why did you lie about who you are? Exactly, but... <laughs> or if he was, like... Because they are... Shayor's men are getting food. That comes up in this chapter, right? It's like... Uh, yeah, they get food, and then they just want more, and they act more savagely after they get food. Is Right, and they, like, eat it all at once or whatever. So if he just told her something like, uh, yes, they are getting food, uh, but they're never satisfied because the hunger of Elantrians can never be satisfied. Which is also something she doesn't really know. She doesn't actually understand anything about how Elantrian hunger works, and he's never because explained despite, that to her. Despite all these diplomatic missions... And, like, having all the people here in Elantris, at no point has anyone explained to somebody outside Elantris what it is like to be Elantrian. Which, by the way, that really that really gives me a very low opinion of Serene's intelligence, because she seems to believe that Elantrians do need to eat like any living human being, but also that nobody has been feeding them for ten years. So, like, I don't know what the fuck she thought was happening... And also, Serini trips over this bag of, like, extra food that's been hoarded away. He could just say, yes, I use that to feed the people who are too wrapped up in their own agony to uh, yeah. be people. He Literally all this needs is one scene of Raiden being like, let me show you the infirmary I was taking that food to. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> and, and, like, honestly, also, like... Each one of these, like, pieces of information I mentioned revealing. Um, I will say that I don't imagine Serini's response would be an immediate, oh, I see, you're right, that fixes everything. But only because I think her immediate response would have to be, why did you hide this from me? Like, the, yes. thing, <laughs> the thing where, you know, the uh, the infirmary or whatever, I think he has a specific name for it that I'm forgetting. But anyway, of the Fallen? That's what it is, right? Uh, video game-ass name. Um, anyway, uh, fallen, fallen. like if Serini knew about the Hall of the Fallen, she would obviously want to go there and bring food specifically there. Right. Uh, and like, I guess, God, this all comes down to his stupid thing about like, we can't let her know that we're getting organized because then, uh, 
they'll actually like fear us and want to destroy us. Um, that's the linchpin for the all his lies, and it has never made sense. And we have the new lie this time, wherein he doesn't want anyone to know about the pool because then everybody will want to die. <laughs> okay. Oh, let's get into so, that. So I tweeted out, <laughs> unlocked. <laughs> That Brandon accidentally <clears throat> invented fantasy necropolitics. <laughs> yeah. Brandon is 100% putting himself in the position of deciding who lives and who dies. <laughs> and, like, it's just... Uh, okay, so I I feel ill-equipped to, like, explain what necropolitics is for the audience, but, like, basically... Like, it is this sort of concept stemming from biopolitics of, like, how we, like, how bodies are policed, um, like, in society. Um, like, necropolitics sort of branches off from that and talks about, like, thinks about how death is policed. Who has access to death, um, and and these sorts of things. And so, (laughs) Raiden just decides unilaterally that oh none of these people does like should be allowed the choice of dying none of these people like yeah i get to decide who gets to who lives and who dies and he is a fucking tyrant now (laughs) like it's so bad he was edging toward that before but by like he's literally lording over life and death for these people it's gross it's bad these people should be permitted to die if they want to die (laughs) yeah i mean i i assume that inevitably raiden is gonna fix aondor and all the elantrians are gonna become elantrians again and they're gonna be perfect and pure and sexy and magical and happy um, and so at that time, it's going to be like, damn, aren't you glad you didn't all throw yourselves into the pool and like dissolve into nothingness or whatever. But, um, but the belief that Raiden will be able to fix all this is, I think, pretty ludicrous at this point in time. I just know that's what's going to happen because Raiden is the protagonist of a, a fantasy novel. Yeah. Um, and like... <clears throat> the guy who knew about this pool and who was uh Hoed Hoed mm-hmm. Hoed Hoed explicitly wanted to go there told them where it is so they could take him there um yes and they don't even know Raiden is treating this as though uh falling into this pool is definitely just like committing a like painless even like pleasurable suicide but they don't know that mm-hmm. um they don't actually know enough about this pool or like the sort of the kind of faith that the elantrians seem to have regarded it with to say what happens to a person who falls into it um mm-hmm. which is maybe in some ways a reason not to just start tossing people into it you know but like <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless like uh Raiden is just so sure that the pool is suicide and that everyone would want to go there if they knew about it. And and he knows better than everybody in town, apparently. Yes, it's you his know? job to bear the burden of being the lone good king who won't let everyone kill themselves. 
<sighs> it sucks. It sucks. I also... Ra- <laughs> Sorry, go on. I, I All I was going to say is that Raiden just comes off so bad in these chapters. He does. That's all. I, I feel like another element of this, because they keep the pool a secret, they're also keeping this, like, hidden library secret. And... Mm-hmm. Okay, so there is, like, one kind of basic part of that that I, that I have to give Raiden a small amount of credit for, which is he is worried that people might boil and eat the leather covers of the books. Um, yeah. So, okay, fair enough. It's very possible that some people might try to do that. Um, however, he has been able to keep people from doing that with, like, all the books that he has outside of this place, right? Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know that he's... It does. It hasn't seemed like he's been keeping those books like strictly secret so um but also maybe more importantly there's definitely more people who listen to Rayadin than the like group of maybe four that he allows to know about the live this library um and like his his more like important reasoning like beyond the thing where people might eat them which which i do think is honestly like Kind of like it's a real threat, but also it's I think it's one he can handle. Mm-hmm. The more serious thing is, he sensed a sacredness to the structure. It was not a place to be invaded by visitors, misunderstanding fingers that would disorganize books and shatter the calm. I hate this. Oh fuck you! That is like fuck you. <laughs> it's like it is the most like annoying like nerd like libraries are sacred bullshit. And it is Rayadin presuming that he understands, like, the Elantrian's way of thinking about this place. When he super doesn't. He has no reason to think he does. He is the misunderstanding fingers that would disorganize books. Like, he doesn't know where their fucking filing system is. He's probably totally ruining it. (laughs) They find the filing system. Karana finds the other bookshelf that has the index. Oh, ah, shit, you're... You're right, you're right. I uh, That's my bad. But, like, you get what I'm saying, right? Like, Rayadin is presenting yeah, yeah. himself as someone who understands this library and understands, like, the <sighs> high regard, even perhaps the worship that the Elantrians had for it. But he doesn't. <laughs> you see, libraries are supposed to be quiet. And, mm. and they are, like, beacons of civilization. Yeah. And learning. It, it This played <clears throat> against, like, Literally describing Shaor's men as savages in this chapter, real bad. Just, just bad. Just. Yeah. Also, Rayden would definitely be one of those Instagram book people that <laughs> arranges his uh his uh, oh, bookshelves God. by the color of the spines. I thought you were gonna say backwards. Backward. Is that you a put thing? the spine in the back? Oh, oh. like show the pages. Yes. Yeah, people do that. Oh my god, that's obnoxious. <laughs> Raiden would do that, though. I mean, <laughs> there are other Sanderson characters who would do that just because they're, <laughs> they're himbos. Yeah, and there like you know. also, you know, so he is trying to he is trying to do research on these books so that he can figure out what's up with Aeondor, so he can fix it, so he can save everyone in Elantris. Um, and it's like a huge library the bookshelves extended out of sight their information stretching as if to eternity 
So, like, he could really use some more manpower on this. Like, if he, yes. had, if he had, like, a dozen people at a time in this library reading through the books, and he gave them, you know, some sort of, like, general criteria for, like, okay, if you find anything that talks about, uh, like, how to fix Aeondor when it fails, or, like, if you find anything that sounds like it is about something like the Elantrian condition, like that thing that he found in a book outside about you know, a failed Aeon that seems to kind of turn someone into a, a land, or not, you know, seem to have someone experience the thing like what current day Elantrians are. Um, yeah. You know, he could give people like general guidelines for like what stuff they should flag for him. And then, you know, his like loyal people would probably be like, hey, my king, uh, I found the thing you were looking for. Uh, might this help? And he, he would be able to figure out how to fix the magic and win the book so much faster. And, he, and then he could be like, thank you, Salen, have a raisin. <laughs> <sighs> um, do we want to talk about chapter 29? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, do In we which... want to, um, I guess, the... We didn't talk at all about the fight in this chapter, um, we should maybe the just fight like... is the fight was weird because it switched over to Serenia's point of view for some of this, and so I was like a little confused about which chapter I was in at one point. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sword Uncle is there? Yeah, yeah. S- Sword Uncle is so sexy as he does his sword. Well, he's stuff. see, he's like level. He's like a level five fighter. Uh huh. And these these uh. Elantrian, these Elantrians have like a challenge rating of like 0. 0.5. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Probably got 1d6 hit dice. <laughs> so, like, so. the. Basically, the thing that happens, because I don't really think that the. Um, the summary explains this very clearly. Like, uh, all of Shayor's gang attacks the food distribution at once, and. Uh, like. Salen had hope had been hoping to do something where he would wipe out Shaor's gang before this happened, but he wasn't able to do that. Um, and so, uh, you know, Serenis, Serenis posse have to fight them off. Um, and just like a ton of people, um, both Shaor's men and Raiden's people get beheaded and sliced in half and shit. Mm-hmm. The the difference between violence between Elantrians and violence when just a normal guy with a real sword enters the mix is vast. Yeah. Because he's just boom, down, boom, down. He's just working through this crowd in a way that is totally different from the way that violence has been described between Elantrians, where it is a much, like... More cautious. Yeah, yeah. and, like, much more dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then during this fight, Serini discovers these deceptions and storms away um, and decides to go murder a man. <laughs> uh, okay. Should I read the chapter 29 summary then? Please do. Please do. All right. <clears throat> Chapter 29. Serini and Ash return by carriage to the palace. 
Sereni is greatly upset that Spirit has deceived her and withheld food from the Elantrians, and that the incident will cause the prejudices against Elantris to be reinforced. Her fears manifest as she sees a band of Eodon's guards heading for the city wall, presumably to annihilate the residents of Elantris. Sereni rushes to the palace and blackmails Eodon into cancelling the attack. That's like a one-sentence summary of uh, basically the central scene of this chapter. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll spend a lot of time there. Yeah, yeah. Sereni returns to the city wall to ensure that her orders were carried out. She surveys the courtyard and realizes the truth about Elantrians, that they can survive terrible wounds but suffer in great pain, and that they don't really need food to live. She also sees someone who she assumes is spirit, upset and cradling the body of his friend, and realizes that he is a good person, and possibly just a tyrant due to his circumstances. <laughs> she will probably never see him again. <laughs> Serena goes to Keen's house to seek refuge from her stress. She discusses the attack by the Elantrians and her browbeating of Yadon. Shudin arrives at the house bearing news of a newly transformed Elantrian. <laughs> Who could that be? You'll never yeah, guess. <laughs> I want to talk about chapter 30 so bad. <laughs> chapter well, 30 is one page long. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. We'll get there. It's <laughs> Ethan, as always, is our little dessert. <laughs> yeah. um, so. so uh, Serini rushes in and literally sees the phrase Elantris's uh, annihilation on a piece of paper. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not very subtle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the place that this starts is just... (laughs) Basically, what happens is, like, Serini, like, comes in, yells at the king a bunch, like, has this blackmail on him, like, gets, gets him basically to cower into doing what she wants... And then she leaves and is like, probably won't be any consequences to that decision. (laughs) He hasn't been seen in public in a day, but that's probably fine. Oh my god, I know. She's like, she used such a heavy hand here. And she totally didn't have to. Because we know that Iodon is like a total, like, weak-willed piece of shit, you know? Um, And she's supposed to be this, like, canny political operator. But she, like, storms in and yells at him and drives him to tears. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's supposed to be, like, this super cool, uh, triumphant, like, look how strong her force of will is kind of thing. But it's just so, um, it's not strategic at all. Uh, like. And it feels like, it almost feels like a betrayal, betrayal of the character that she was early on of, like, oh, I'm gonna pretend to be a bimbo to, like, you know, get Iodon not to notice me. Now I'm going to, like, you know just, like, scream at him until he does what I want. It's, I'm going to punch as hard as I can at all of his weakest points. Yeah. I, we should probably clarify, by the way, what her blackmail is. Because um, I yes. also think that yes. is, like, kind of a disappointing element of this. Because her blackmail is basically, she's like, I'm going to tell everyone that you almost lost all your money and stopped being king. Um, and that mm. I was the one who saved you. Um and it's like, uh, first of all, I don't know how she's going to actually, like, prove that to the world. Like, does she have Eodon's private financial documents? 
uh, that would surprise me a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So it sounds like she is basically just relying on the idea that like she could speak up in court and say all this stuff and she would just be believed. Um, even though, like, she would have every reason to lie about it, right? Because she's got all these political conflicts with Eodon and like that it's that's pretty well known in court, I think. Um, yeah. And um, also the fact that the king was like struggling financially is something that was known. And then like people know that he like pulled out of it last minute. Uh, and he, so the only part of this that isn't kind of general gossip among the nobles, I think, is the specific fact that Serini found the solution for him and that it's due to Teoish contracts that she got for him. Um, and because she's a girl yeah the, yeah it all that's the other rests, part of this it 100% rests on the idea that Iodon would be shamed by people knowing that Serini rescued him mm-hmm. and and everyone does know now not necessarily that Serini rescued him from <laughs> losing the kingship but they do know that Serini cussed him out and made him do what she wanted because she was really <laughs> loud about it yeah so okay I want to circle back to, like, her going outside the walls of Elantris mm-hmm. in a moment, but I want to jump forward to, like, the the stuff in Kiain's house where... So, she has the scene with Eodon, she goes to the walls of Elantris, she comes back to Kiain's house, and they have this conversation about it. And the conversation, to me, was so funny, because as, as all this is playing out, I was like, okay, she just storms out of... Um, Iodon's office with a brand new set of orders and then goes and like hangs out outside the wall and bosses the soldiers around and surely now the gossip of town is going to be that um like oh somehow like Serena has gotten one over on Iodon and she's like l- running the place on the down low now mm-hmm. but the actual gossip of the town is that everybody overheard her <laughs> yelling at him which is a much dumber premise i feel like yeah i'm just like it this easily could have gotten out like just like even if even if she actually was a little bit like less if she had more of a light hand with the way that she blackmailed iodon like if she'd come in and instead of like yelling at him and like asserting her will she'd just sort of been like iodon take a second think about it i can destroy you do you really want to do this thing that I absolutely don't want you to do? Maybe mm-hmm. you should listen to me. And, like, talked him down from his rage and then got him to sign the orders? Even then. So, okay, no one overhears her shouting in that case. Also, Iodon probably isn't as, uh, like, terrified of her in a way that is obviously going to turn to rage immediately, like, tomorrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but even if she did it in that kind of subtle way... What other people would see from the outside is Eodon made an immediate order to exterminate Elantris. Then Serini went into his room and talked to him. Then Eodon sent an order canceling that. So everyone still yeah. knows that Serini changed his mind, right? Yeah. It, it, and the difference is that, like, what I thought the chapter was setting up was that everybody's going to start seeing her as, like, the Lady Macbeth type. Mm-hmm. And instead... Everybody sees her as the as the shrew, sort of, <laughs> which just it feels it tying back into like, oh, you would be so shamed by like everybody knowing that a woman helped you. It, it there's like a weird gender aspect to like 
how everybody sees Serini now that is I, I just I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> I I feel like I feel like Brandon thinks that a woman boldly standing up to a man and yelling at him is very like admirable and heroic. Um Uh-huh. And uh and I also think that comes across really, really strongly in the way that Deora reacts to this. Um uh do you mind if I just, like, read that chunk? Yeah. Uh, so everyone's told Serini, like, yeah, everyone heard you yelling. I might have gotten a little carried away, Serini said. You did the right thing, dear, Deora assured her. Iodon is far too accustomed to having the court jump when he so much as sneezes. He probably didn't know what to do when someone actually stood up to him. It wasn't that hard, Serini said with a shake of her head. Beneath all the bluster, he's very insecure. Most men are, dear, Deora said. And oh. so... <laughs> It's like what what we're basically being told here is like it's healthy for a man like Eodon to have a woman shout at him every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> that's just hmm. Oh, uh, it's, it's weird. It's very weird. Um, and I also think it's it's quite funny that um, like I I don't know that like. Uh, Like, has no one ever yelled at Eodon before? No one. <laughs> Not even Raiden. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, because it seems like it's actually a pretty easy win. You just yell at Eodon and he cowers and cries. So, like, you'd think that some noble or other... Like, yeah, I get that probably yelling at the king is a... Feels like a risky move, because what if he's just, like... Fuck you, guard, seize him. Like, throw him into a lantris to be devoured by those beasts, or whatever. Um, right. But, uh, but, that isn't at all what happens to Serini, and so it is very surprising that no one in the last ten years has even tried it. Um, well, it's... and like, he cries. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like the first thing you learn as a king is never fucking cry in front of nobody. <laughs> you yeah, know? and like, don't let people like shout at you and like cow you without like punishing them. Like, you I know mean, what I am surprised about here is that like I can kind of see on Eodon's from Eodon's perspective being like, all right, she's actually got this dirt on me. I can't let that get out. I do have to let her win this particular negotiation. But you are going to be confined to your room in this palace for the next six years. Like, that's what I would do if I were Eodon. And, like, that's something where she wouldn't necessarily have the leverage she wants to have. Because Eodon has a fucking army and Serene doesn't. (laughs) No matter how loud she yells. (laughs) The cool thing about being king is that you get all the swords. (laughs) (laughs) But also... He's been a king for 10 years. He was not a king from birth. Mm-hmm. Oh, so he doesn't like... realize that you can just tell all the men with swords who obey you to do <laughs> shit. <laughs> but, like, there's there's also, like, there's, like, before him there wasn't a king either, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not like these people have, like, just learned through culture to treat the king a certain way, right? Well, so there's, I... There's no, like... Nora. Unless the Elantrians were were also like, well, I do think it, it's true that the Elantrians never never let anyone see them sweat. 
uh, like, I, I bet you no one had ever seen an Elantrian cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause they, they presented themselves as gods. Um, but, uh, the other thing is, like, I kind of agree with what you're saying, Nora, in that, like, we are talking about, I guess, kind of social standards about, like, kingship that aren't, like, automatic, I guess, uh, that, that sort of derive mm-hmm. from a particular, very obviously in the real world, like, particular to, like, European history idea of, like, an absolute monarch. However, Keen literally says, oh, yeah, this is how kingship works. Um, he says... monarchs can't afford to be reprimanded in public we might have a much harder time of things when this is all through so like keen is basically saying um like uh iodon iodon's reputation as a king can't afford this kind of embarrassment and like he's going to punish you for it uh Mm. more or less exactly the way we we are you know predicting (laughs) Yeah, I'm just surprised that she walked out of that palace at all. Is <laughs> right. <anything? laughs> you see, a king is kind of like a principal at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Brandon is writing Iodon as like the principal of the Sabrina the Teenage Witch sitcom. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> it definitely, you know what? <laughs> it definitely feels to me like... Way too much of the function of Eodon's kingship is based on Eodon's emotional state. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, again, to bring this to, like, the stuff I was talking about with, like, historical European uh, absolute monarchs, um, there have been, throughout uh, the history of that, like, type of political organization, lots and lots of kings who were, in some sense, not very emotionally stable. But they still were able to, like, uh, use things like armies to control their courts. It's just that, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you can have someone who is, who cries easily or whatever at the center of a political system that gives that person absolute power. And it doesn't mean that that person is necessarily easy to control. It just means that maybe, like the things they'll do with that absolute power will be, I don't know, unpredictable or something like that. Um, but even that, even what I just said, feels like a li- going a little too far in the direction of like what I feel like this book does, which is treating a king as like, like just a person whose like personal feelings are the thing that's most important. When like, mm-hmm. you know, a crown is a political authority. Um, in some ways it doesn't actually matter that much who sits the throne or it, it shouldn't, I kind of think like, yeah, like, like for example, like part of the point of what I'm trying to say is that it shouldn't really matter whether Eodon is personally like cowed by someone yelling at him. That doesn't actually matter to the question of will he take harsh retribution against somebody who uh, weakens his authority in front of his court? Because, like, even if Eodon is personally kind of a scaredy cat, his position as king rests on the people, the nobles of his court giving him that authority. And so if someone publicly right. threatens it, as Sereni is doing, in order to stay king, he's got to punish that so that no one else does that shit. Um, and I guarantee you he's not going to kill Sereni for this insolence because that's not going to happen in this story. <laughs> Um, 
But there's no reason why he shouldn't. Yeah. Um. I feel like there's more stuff to talk about at Keyine's house, but maybe mm. we should go. Is there? Is there? I don't know. Let's go. Let's go talk about the Elantri and walls for a second. Um, oh sure. I just want to say that I think maybe what happened to Brandon mm-hmm. is that maybe somebody told him, "Hey." Um, you don't really know very much about kings. And then he was like, well, I gotta fix that. (laughs) I don't write about nothing but kings. (laughs) I think, I think that the way this book has gone so far, uh, Brandon was already pretty obsessed with kingship when he started Mm. this book. Yes. Um, (laughs) But you wanted to talk about the walls? Um, there's not, I maybe don't have a ton here other than, it's really funny. You get a you get a taste of it before the scene with Eodon, but like it just they crank it up to eleven. Um, as Serini's like, and I'm never ever gonna see Spirit again, and he was so sexy, and I just <laughs> oh Spirit, he was so noble, and yes, he was a dictator. Yes, I think he's a bad person. Oh, he was just so hot and brave. And, and I'm sure it's really hard to be king. And I'm sure that he was making all these bad choices because it's just hard to be the king of Elantris, I'm sure. She was also saddened that she would never be able to see him again. Ty- tyrant or not, he had seemed like a good man. Perhaps perhaps only a tyrant could lead in a place like Elantris. Perhaps it, it, he was the best that the people had. Regardless, she would probably never see him again. She would never again look into those eyes that, despite the emaciated form of his body, seemed so vibrant and alive. There was a complexity in them that she would never be able to unravel. It was over. This is the most it was not over thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, for real. Also, also, uh, can, can I see the page for just one second? Because there was one specific sentence. Um... Perhaps only a tyrant could lead in a place like Elantris. That is the thesis of the next 20 books we're going to read. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. oh, boy. This is the central concern of Brandon Sanderson's work going forward. Is Perhaps only a tyrant, tyrant could read. Could... <laughs> Sorry. Perhaps only a tyrant could lead. <laughs> also, perhaps only a tyrant could read. Raiden's keeping all the books. <laughs> honestly, honestly, yes. This is the other premise. Um, um, I'm ready to to pull the pull the balloon cord, pop the, the thing, and have all the confetti come out. Yeah, let's go. Are you ready? Let's go. Chapter thirty. I said I was going to say three words on this podcast that made that made it clear that this book is good. Nora was right. <laughs> <laughs> yup. In summary for chapter thirty. This is a pretty lengthy one, so I'm just... <clears throat> I'm gonna get ready. Hraithan is prepared for entry to Elantris as a newly transformed Elantrian by Karathi priests who perform a ritual cleansing. Hraithan's entry to Elantris is delayed by the presence of a squad of Yadon's guards, but eventually he is sent past the gates. Discarding his food offering, he kneels in the entry courtyard and loudly beseeches Jadeth in prayer. Fuck End of, yeah. chant- end yeah. of chapter. Fuck Yeah! <laughs> I was right. You were absolutely right. <laughs> you called it. You were right. Uh, and I just want everyone to acknowledge that. That's all. 
Absolutely. Uh, that's the end of the chapter. Like I said earlier, this chapter is one page long. It's all you need. Hraithan, <laughs> just a little dash of Hraithan every week. Hraithan, uh, quote unquote, getting taken by the Sheod and going to Elantris and immediately like falling to his knees in prayer. Oh, it's the good shit. <laughs> so, so okay, what what is his plan here? Right, I'm pretty sure he is going to stay there praying for however long it takes the poison to wear off. Yes. Could be weeks. Yes. He is just going to pray for like two straight weeks until he's, he, the poison wears off. He stops being an Elantrian and he's like, look at that, guys. Jadith fixed it. That's got to be it, right? I'm pretty sure that's ex- exactly what, it, what this is. I hope that's it. I hope that's it. King. <laughs> King shit. King shit. <laughs> our, uh, renaming our Brandon Sanderson podcast to be just King Things. No. What? No. Why? You can't do that. Why not? <laughs> okay, the King cast then, as a last resort. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, Dilof is pissed. Dilof's pissed. <laughs> it, um. wh- why? Um. Okay, I mean, I guess because he hates the Elantrians. But, like, if I were Diloph, I'd be pretty jazzed, actually, because, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, well, I killed two birds with one stone, and I didn't have to do anything. Exactly. <laughs> like, uh, he's he's uh, he no longer has to worry at all about the one person who was, like, a threat to his growing power. Um, and, like, uh, he pro- if I were Diloph... Like, okay, it says here uh, about Diloph watching Hraithan... Uh, watching from his alcove, his eyes openly hating Hraithan for the first time. Um, if uh, has Diloph not hated Hraithan like this whole time? He's the one <laughs> obstacle to the power that he's been building. Like, uh, <laughs> I sort of feel like this is like, oh great, the guy I already hated has now become the thing I hate most in the world. I feel like maybe I feel like maybe the openly is doing the heavy lifting in that sentence where I think maybe Dilof has always hated Hraithan and um like maybe it's just like, oh cool, I don't have to pretend anymore that I like that guy. Yeah, that might be it. That might be it. I guess okay. There is maybe the possibility that um while Dilof has been, you know, openly scheming to uh fuck up Hraithan's authority and, like, get out from under him and stuff like that. It is possible that he also, at the same time, viewed Hraithan as, like, uh, a holy man of Jadith, you know? But yeah. that he also just kind of thought, like, okay, well, he's a holy man of Jadith, but I'm gonna become an even holier one by becoming more powerful than him, because that's what Jadith likes. Uh, so I guess I can see from that perspective being shocked by someone whom he believed was, like, greatly invested with God's power getting possessed by a demon. Um, which is basically how Dilof sees this, I think. I, so what had happened to me was that I was reading these three chapters and I, I read chapter three and I was like, holy shit, this book's good. And then I wanted to clear up a detail I, I'd missed, and so I went back to listen to the Raiden chapter, and the very first thing in the Raiden chapter is Raiden deciding who gets to die and who doesn't. And I was like, actually, this book is bad. It's just that every time Hraithan shows up, I'm convinced that the book is good. And it, it's just going to happen every week. And just every week, 
Hraithan's gonna do something fun, and I'll be like, oh, the book's good. No, it's not. Yeah, like I said, Hraithan is our dessert. <laughs> I just, uh, I just idly flicked to the first page of chapter 31. Um, and uh-huh. I, I read the first, yeah. I, I, I don't want to spoil anybody, but, uh, yeah, Raiden's immediately doing some fucked shit, so, uh, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. I abs- I absolutely listened to the first minute or so of chapter 31 by mistake, and, uh, yeah, I'm kind of mad. A little bit mad. Well, <laughs> but well, we'll get there next Madstone. Damn, you got my ass. Yeah. No spoilers. Yeah. I don't think saying that we're mad at Raiden and he's doing something <laughs> awful is, uh, really spoilers of any kind. That's Being been... mad at Raiden is, like, spoilers for the second episode of the podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ah, uh, Raithan. <laughs> um. Okay, here's a that... here's a question in my mind. So yes. he is obviously setting up the idea that Jadith's power alone uh, can heal uh, one who's been taken. Uh, by yes. The... Rayod, the Shayod, oh, fuck. Shayod, the Shayod. Never gonna remember that word. Anyway, um... Nope. Nope. Jadith's power alone can heal it. And, uh, I assume he expects that to lead to, like, mass conversions. Um, because it will... It will basically prove that Jadith as a god has more power than the Elantrians did, because the Elantrians could not save themselves from this. Um... I wonder what his plan is for the fact that he's not gonna be able to heal any of the actual real Elantrians. Um, like I can come we'll, up with excuses. We'll cross that bridge could... when we get there. <laughs> Sorry, what was no, that? Hraithan's. I was saying like Hraithan might be trying to improvise it, but like I don't know. Maybe Hraithan's got a plan. I don't know. Like, I mean, remember that this potion was originally designated for Diloph. For Diloph. Yeah, so he he is improvising in a certain sense, but like I I'm giving Hraithan the credit. I think he's smart enough that he has planned that he is he has seen beyond like he's doing this to convert people so he has to be thinking about what will happen when he claims to have this power from Jadith and he can't repeat it you know because right. like one of the things about the elantrians was their miracles were very reliable yes um, so like and you know i can come up with things you could say like oh all those other uh, all those other people in Elantris, their faith in Jadith just isn't strong enough. That's why I was healed and they weren't. Um, so like he could say that, but uh, I don't know. I feel like one big miracle might be enough to create like a flurry of conversions, and I guess maybe that's when the armies roll in and nobody gets the chance to deconvert when it turns out that this whole thing was a house of cards. Hmm. That I guess that, that could makes work. Sense. But also, we learned last week that people from Fjordel have not been taken before. That's true. Uh, oh, right. As Raiden theorized, that's for ethnic reasons. Um, yeah. Uh, so, huh. Uh-huh. Oh, there was also something, if I recall correctly, in Raiden's theory about which types of people are taken by the Sheod and which are not, that it, it had to do with an ethnic group, and it also had to do with where you lived, right? 
Um, yeah. Uh, so that does... That is interesting. Um, and makes it seem like Hraithan will be able to say, like, oh yeah, it was living in the, like, sinful city of Kai that uh, fucked me up. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... Oh, I, I bet... Uh, I bet that when Rayadin finds out that Hraithan has come to Elantris, uh, he's going to be like, wait a minute. This guy is of the wrong blood to have been taken by the Sheod. It must be a trick. <laughs> I bet that's going to be how Rayadin realizes that it's some sort of uh, scheme. <sighs> yeah. <sighs> or, like, Hraithan will not be able to act the part. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that would like, also make Hra- sense. Hraithan's not going to know about the Elantrian condition necessarily, and mm. so... Okay. There's drama. Yeah. Yeah, that could be... Stakes. That... I'm definitely looking... Also... Go on. You go. Sorry. I'm definitely looking forward to Hraithan and Raiden interacting. Um, that better happen That's soon. literally what I was about to say, is like, I'm excited for those two characters in the same room. If, uh, shame that it means that Serini's not going to be in that room for a couple chapters, but like, yeah, yeah. God, it is so funny on some level how we were like we're desperate for these characters to interact. Serini and Raiden finally are interacting, even though it's through this really frustrating kind of veil of lies. And then like two chapters into that, it's like, nope, Serini's banned from Elantris again. <laughs> but Hraithan's here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If Hraithan and Raiden do not, like, meet up and, like, talk in the next set of chapters, I'm going to be so mad. But I also think it's <laughs> upsettingly possible that that might not happen because of how this he book He might has just been. sit there and pray and not go meet other characters. Well, he's, like, right inside the gates doing that, right? So he's, like, in yeah. a very obvious place. So, like, Raiden, I hope, is going to find out about this almost immediately. Uh, I hope. Fingers crossed. Brandon can and has disappointed us on things that seem very obvious like they'd have to happen. So my hopes are not that He's done high. it so many times, in fact. <laughs> my my faith in Brandon is in tatters. <laughs> it's, it is, I'm so glad that we are reading Elantris right now. Uh-huh. And not a year from now. Why is that? Because going back to this would be way harder than starting with it, I feel. Mm, yeah. You mean like if we had started, say, with Mistborn or something like that? Like if yeah. we weren't yeah. reading in publication order? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I um, do think that, like, in a project like this, whenever you encounter a rough spot, it's it's just hard. It is hard to have to uh, podcast about something that is bad <laughs> for an extended period of time. As- from like minute one, <laughs> maybe maybe minute you know one hundred and twenty one, but yeah, um, we're sixty percent done. We're past the fifty percent mark and like the number of chapters. I mean, yeah, you can look at the at our physical book. You can see because the pages are different colored how far into the book uh, Act Two begins, and it is significant. Yeah, the the. Like the chapters are going to get shorter and shorter, so which is good because that means that Brandon is going to be making things happen. Hopefully. Yes, yeah. hopefully. I do. Well, okay. We need to. Ad- 
I said that my faith in Brandon was in tatters, and that's still true, but there is one thing that I do have faith in, which is that at some point in this book, things are going to accelerate wildly, because I I do not know of a piece of Brandon Sanderson fiction that doesn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's his trick. It's the one thing he does. Are we going to need to adjust our reading amount if our chapters get too short? Uh, we could revisit that question when we get when we get there. Okay. I feel um, like I would slightly prefer to just have shorter podcast episodes about yeah. less. Okay. And yeah. maybe uh I don't know, um this is we should talk about this off air, but like if it works, maybe more frequent podcast episodes. Um I could I could definitely be down with more frequent podcast episodes now that I have a more consistent day off every week, so Cool. Because, yeah, um, I, I think that, uh, I think that the, the, like, narrator, the, the, like, character perspective structure would mean that it would be hard to do, I don't think it would make sense to do, like, four or five chapters a week. I think we'd have to jump to six, and I think that would be a lot of moving parts to handle all at once. Yeah. But, yeah, we can figure that out off air, for sure. Um, since, since we are no longer talking about the book itself, should we wrap this episode? (laughs) Sure. Mark, where can people find you online? You can find my Twitter account at Char Asnablunt, and you can find my other podcast, Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements, which is a Moby Dick podcast, uh, on the Abnormal Mapping Network, uh, at abnormalmapping.com slash whale. Uh, so check that out. It's about a much better book. (laughs) <laughs> a much longer book too am i right uh i don't actually it, that's hard for me to judge because i read everything as ebooks so i don't have like two right. books with like mm. consistent page amounts i always had this conception of moby dick as being very long but okay i'm just i'm gonna i'm, gonna, I'm googling word counts because uh, I am vaguely curious about this right now. Elantris is about 200k. Okay. Uh, Moby Dick word count. Almost oh. equivalently long. Almost exactly the oh, same Oh, yeah. Huh. My, uh, Moby Dick is about 200k words as well. So, um, yeah. Same length. Yeah. Um, our version is different from the version on this page I'm looking at because the original version of Elantris is 201,000, but there's, um, but the, this is, the, this has got the, this is okay. the 10th anniversary. Oh, this, this does have yeah. the, okay. yeah, yeah. Anyway. it says on the cover, 10,000 words of bonus content. <laughs> <laughs> it does say 10,000 words of bonus content. Um, Autumn, plug. Hi, you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. If you go to the Export Audio Patreon at exportaud.io, you can listen to the first episode of my new podcast with uh, my friend Neve um, called Ornate Stairwells, and uh, we're going to watch movies and talk about them. And um, what the fuck was I saying? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at neither nor. <laughs> oh, right. That will be available for non-patrons at some point, but I just haven't made a feed on Pinecast yet, and... I want to, like, figure out, like, oh, we're going to put this out on Fridays or something like that. Like, I want to f- nail some of that down, maybe get one more episode up for the patrons, and then I'll start putting it out for the public. But for right now, patrons only. So, $1 a month. Come hang out. You can find me on Twitter at neither Nora. You can find 
some stuff I do at NoraBlake.online. I recently, as in last night, put out a new episode of Export Audio that does not feature Autumn, but instead features Jackson, uh, where I read some shit that I wrote uh, in 2013. And I had a great time. It seems like people listening enjoyed that episode. I'm excited. I haven't got a chance to listen to it yet because I was working when you put it out. I'm very I'm so excited, happy. too. <laughs> it's, it was a journey. Um, you can catch my Game Club podcast journal updated at the thesecondbestgame.club, which is also at the Abnormal Mapping Podcast Network. Uh, we're playing Bioshock this month. Which uh, means Molly's already started playing it, and I could play it now. We could record early this month, because Bioshock's a pretty short game. Pretty short game. Easy Uh, one to fill out. Easy one to fill out. (laughs) If you become a patron of the Export Audio Patreon Network, Podcast Network... um, Then you'll get to listen to podcasts? I'm... (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I'm putting my foot down. There will be another new patron-exclusive, permanently patron-exclusive podcast. This one will soon. only ever be for patrons. Only for patrons. It's called Godzilla's Not Dead. <laughs> uh, Autumn and I have been wanting to do it for a while, and we're going to start it in this calendar Hell month. Yeah. Okay. I say that on the second. Yeah, we got plenty of time. Yeah, it'll be monthly. Yeah. So don't, don't monthly five dollars only patrons, I assume. Yes. Yeah. Godzilla's not dead. Uh, will we be watching Godzilla movies? Yes. Will we watch things that aren't Godzilla movies? Yes. No, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are there are a few related movies that we will be yeah watching as well. It will be two of us watching a movie and then talking about it, which of course is a is a rather unique setup for a podcast. See, that's the thing that you said. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> you have nothing to say. I've got nothing. Okay, got nothing. Pr- please think of something to say before we start this other podcast that we're talking about. <laughs> talking is a is a good thing to do in a podcast. Uh, well, I do know one thing to say. Yeah. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Thanks Brandon. Brandon.